Welcome to Episode 5 of What We Believe and Why with Dr. George Byron Koch, an author and pastor with a passion to communicate the basics of faith across all denominational boundaries. Today, we continue to look at the difference between those things that are essential versus those things that are important. And we're following the outline in his book, a comprehensive yet accessible look at theology called What We Believe and Why. Here's Pastor George. Chapter 4, Glorification. In Chapter 1, we considered the wheel illustration and its two concentric circles, essentials and non-essentials. We saw that the center circle is the if and only if, and the other not so. Non-essentials can be really important, but they are still non-essentials and shouldn't be falsely proclaimed as essentials just to enhance their visibility. A good diet is important, but only if you are alive. Being alive is essential to living your life. A good diet is valuable, sustains life, and gives health and energy, but it is not essential to living in the same way that being alive is. To say, well, you're not really living if you merely subsist on a poor diet, so a good diet really is essential to life, is wrongly to tag something as essential just to make it seem especially important. This is a semantic misdirection that hides a category error, and we should avoid it. In chapters 2 and 3, this insight was applied to distinguish salvation and sanctification. Life in Christ begins with salvation, being reborn by the Spirit into the kingdom of heaven. Though we sin and fall far short of the sinlessness required to be with God, we are made right with God by Jesus' willing gift to us of himself, by his self-sacrificing love. We are made just or justified by Christ. Salvation, this birth into a new life, is the essential of the faith. Without it, there is no life in Christ. Salvation is being alive for believers. This new birth begins the process of our growing up in our faith, in our deepening relationship with God, in our maturing as disciples, and in our learning to love more fully. In fact, at its root, disciple means to learn by use and practice. Disciples learn to love as Jesus did, by the use and practice of love. In theology, this is called sanctification. It is a hugely important subject, an adventure, and our life work. And we will begin to look at it more fully and unpack its content when we get to the next chapter. For now, we'll skip over sanctification to the final stage of life in Christ, which is called glorification. That is the theological term for heavenly reward, for what happens after our human bodies die. This chapter presents a whirlwind tour of what glorification 
is. And I'll tell you in advance that you may not like this chapter. It is a topic hardly ever discussed in churches, though it is one of the foundational concepts of theology. The content of our sanctification directly determines the content of our glorification. That is, to be plain, what we do in this life determines our reward in heaven. That last sentence may raise some howls of protest, but it is what Jesus and the Scripture teach. Hang in there while we look. This will likely unsettle you and raise all sorts of questions about life, faith, behavior, and what some would call works righteousness. Even worse, the questions it may raise for you will largely not be answered or even addressed in this chapter. You'll have to wait until we circle back to these issues. But we need to open up the topic because our understanding of it will affect many other parts of our life as Christians, even though we may not even have known the term glorification before. In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, Paul tells us, We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take these weak, mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same mighty power he will use to conquer everything, everywhere. We actually get changed. Something happens by the mighty power of God, and we receive what are called glorified bodies, and it is in these that we live throughout eternity. Whether these are young or old, look anything like we do now, or are very different, we don't know. This is one of those passing references in Scripture that hint at something extraordinary that is coming, but then leaves it an open mystery as to exactly what it means. But somehow, some way, in some form, we get new bodies and then live in them forever. What we will be doing in these glorified bodies is the question. Scripture says we will be judges of angels, rulers of nations, priests of God. This is a stunning revelation and should cause us to tremble at the possibility. But in this heavenly glorification, who gets to do what? And how will the opportunities differ from person to person? This is not a common topic in most of our churches or seminaries, for that matter. What do you think? One common belief is that as long as you believed in Jesus and lived a decent life, when you die, you go to heaven, and your reward is pretty much the same as everyone else. That idea is based on Matthew 20, where Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of an estate who goes out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agrees to pay the normal daily wage and sends them to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he hires more. All the way up to five o'clock at night, he hires more people and sends them out. At the close of the day, they all stand together to get paid. And here's how the scripture continues. When those who were hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. 
When those who were hired earlier came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner, those people only worked one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you've paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take it and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be angry because I am kind? And so it is that many who are first now will be last then. And those who are last now will be first then. So they all got the same wage, a full day's pay, regardless of how much work they did. We assume this may well be true of heaven. Maybe that's why Jesus tells this story. Well, it is true that it doesn't matter whether you became a Christian at age 5 and served the Lord until age 95 or became a Christian at 95 30 seconds before you died. Everybody gets this same heavenly reward, eternity with God. But in a real sense, that reward has already been received. When you were born again, born from above, reborn into the kingdom of heaven, that is, eternity with God begins at your salvation, not at your death. A question that we ought to ask is, is there any difference in the way people are rewarded when they spend eternity with God? The answer is yes, there is a difference. And it is made by the way you lived your life as a follower of Christ. That is, by how you loved, how you took willing action for the benefit of others and to serve God. Some examples from Scripture. An Old Testament example. Consider this from Jeremiah 17.10. I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Some New Testament examples. You've probably heard quotes like that one from the Old Testament, and then someone objects, but what we know now is because of Jesus because everything is forgiven, we are no longer subject to the law and therefore not subject to this kind of assessment. It doesn't matter if this one did a better job or this one did worse. They are not rewarded according to what their actions deserve. We are all really equal now. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this sounds Christian, religious, and theological. But listen to what Jesus says. When you fast... Comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will suspect you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in secret. And your Father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty, and where they will be safe from thieves." Some excellent New Testament examples of glorification. Well, after the break, George will expand on the implications of the Matthew 6 passage as we continue with what we believe and why. 